This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Regardless of your residency program year, the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Platform developed by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons is right for you. Free to residents, ROC is an online learning program that covers 11 subspecialty areas with content that's been authored and curated by some of the leading names in orthopedics. And residents can access content for free at rock.aos.org. Get started today. Guys and ladies, hombres y mujeres, this is our last hand episode. This is our last hand board review, OITE review episode. You know, my name is Dr. Cole and myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine are doing this board review series. We've been doing actually for a couple of years now uh, from when we first started. And this is the last hand episode. You've made it this far. Uh, congratulations. Uh, we hope that you are our are listening to these episodes not even once but maybe twice three times however much it takes for you to retain the information and we hope that you're following along with the companion book because that is made to help and assist in the learning let's just go ahead and hop into it if you haven't already hit the subscribe button so you stay up to date and you know when we're doing new things and uh let's go ahead and hop into today's episode you are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. What is the fascia structure from the forearm to the fingers? There's a bunch of different kind of layers of fascia and structures that lead from the forearm into the fingers. So what are some of these bands and cords and fibers and how do they have kind of work into Dupuytrens? Yeah. And we're going to try to probably touch on like the main ones because there are so many more bands and cords. When I was reading this, I was just getting so frustrated. I was like, no, I'm, I'm not, there's no way I'm including all this. You're just going to have to go read up on Dupuytrens. But anyway, so yeah, the Palmaris longest slash a deep form fashion as it continues distally. He's turning into these pretendinous bands that goes towards the digits um, that are superficial to the tendon. And it, at the distal palmar crease, it divides into three different layers. So layer one is you have your uh, pretendinous bands, which sends attachment fibers from the distal palmar crease towards the uh, MCP. You have your spiral bands. So this is layer two. You have your spiral bands. Yeah, you, you have two spiral bands and these run along both sides of the pretendinous spans distally along the flexor sheath. And then layer three is you have your perforating fibers from your pretendinous bands to the dorsal sides of the MCP. And I know that was a lot, so you may just have to read that in a book to try to uh, understand it uh, a little bit more and, and kind of get your head wrapped around it. But again, you have three layers. You have your pretendinous bands, you have your spiral bands, and you have your perforating fibers. Now, I guess just more semantic wise, what's the difference between bands and cords? Bands are normal anatomic structures, just like you talked about with the pretendinous bands, the spiral bands. Um, and then you have the cords, which are diseased or contracted structures in Dupuytren. So like you can have pretendinous cord, which is the diseased pretendinous band. And so which bands or cords in Dupuytrens displace the neurovascular bundle superficially 
and proximally toward the midline? Yeah, and I think I've seen that question asked well, at least once or twice. But these are going to be the spiral cords. So, no, the spiral cords are going to displace the neurovascular bundle superficially and, and proximally towards the midline again because these are disease contracted structures. So, and, and it also has a surgical correlation because you have to be very careful during the dissection not to injure the neurovascular bundle. Now, what cord causes the DIP contracture? That is the retrovascular cord. And that is about all I know about the <laughs> retrovascular cord that causes DIP contracture. And then, interestingly, somebody took the time to figure this out, which I'm happy for them. But what is pretty much the only fascia that is not involved in Dupuytren's? It's going to be Cleland's ligament, which lies dorsal to the neurovascular bundle. And I think these are just kind of facts you get try to sit down and like memorize if you can. I don't have any good ways to think about it, but these lie dorsal to the neurovascular bundle, Cleland's ligament, and that is not going to be involved in Dupuytren's disease. Again, lies dorsal towards the neurovascular bundle. Now, what are some indications to treat Dupuytren's? So first of all, you want to try non-op as much as possible, just because Dupuytren's is... It's a horrible disease to have. It's a horrible disease to treat. It's um, a lot of frustration on the patient end. It's a lot of frustration on the surgeon end. And there's really not a lot of great options, unfortunately. But the things you want to look for is if the patient's unable to lay their hand flat on a table, which is called the Houston test, if they have an MCP contracture greater than 30 degrees. And it's like that because It's difficult to grasp objects, like everyday objects, like water bottle, soda can, steering wheel, gear shifter, that sort of stuff that it's really difficult for these patients if they have greater than 30 degree flexion contracture at the MCP to live life. So those patients you may want to consider doing something for. And then if they have a PIP flexion contracture for the same thing, it's just it's difficult for them to fully extend their hand because if they have a PIP contracture, they most likely also have an MCP contracture and that limits their hand grasp ability and overall quality of life. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Are you an orthopedic resident? Then you need to know about ROC. It's a new resident orthopedic core knowledge program developed by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons Created for U.S. residency programs and free to residents, ROC covers 11 subspecialties and is filled with in-depth, comprehensive content and quizzes that have been authored and vetted by some of the leading experts in orthopedics. This all-in-one curriculum will give you the foundation and knowledge you need to become a successful, board-certified orthopedic surgeon. And remember, access to ROC content is free to residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. So what are some of the non-operative treatment options for Dupuytren's? Yeah, so you can do a collagenase injection. And what this like collagenase is actually isolated from clostridium histolyticum. And what this does is you do the injection and you follow that by stretching. It may cause skin tears. That's one of the side effects. That's one of the risks with these collagenase injections. But that is one treatment. You can also do a percutaneous needle apronerotomy, which you're just pretty much just trying to divide these contracted cords. This may provide uh, a little bit 
better improvement in along the MCP joints than the PIP joints. But also, you know, these are very contracted tissues. So if you're just kind of percutaneously going in with a needle, you may cause some neurovascular damage to, to some structures. So again, non-op treatments, collagenase injections, note that it may cause skin tears as well as percutaneous needle aponeurotomy, which is a little bit better improvement in the MCP joints, but that can also cause neurovascular damage. Now, what are some operative treatment options for the putrentins? One is a fasciotomy, which is similar to a percutaneous needle aponeurotomy, but it's it's just more open. So you're making an actual incision, you're dissecting, you are watching out for that neurovascular bundle that is displaced superficially and proximally toward the midline from the spiral cord. And then you're cutting the cords and the diseased bands or cords in a more controlled fashion compared to the percutaneous needle aponeurotomy. You can do a limited fasciectomy, which is if Dupuytrens involves a single digit. And I think it involves the ulnar-based digits more than the radial-based digits. You can do a limited fasciectomy, which is removal of all the diseased tissue of a single ray. And then a radical fasciectomy is essential removal of all palmar, excuse me, and digital fascia, which obviously has higher complications. One thing I do remember from residency is when we had these patients and they either developed skin tears or you did like a fasciotomy or more open procedure that you rarely ever closed their incisions because mm -hmm. uh, you want them to heal by secondary intention because every time you would close them down, that contracts the tissue even more. So even if they do develop the skin tears with the collagenase injections or from the percutaneous aponeurotomy with the needle, you just put some zero form on there. You make that their, you make sure that their hand is splinted in extension and you just kind of let those wounds heal by secondary intention. What are some of the other uh, treatment options that can be used for recurrent Dupuytrens? Yeah, so you can do a, a dermofasciectomy, which just like it says, the sounds, you remove the skin along with the fascia, and eventually it'll need some coverage. And then you can do what we call the open palm technique or the McCast technique, which is a transverse skin incision and an aponeurosis division. And I think you just leave it open, kind of some of the similar things that you were just saying. And I think that'll wrap it up for hand. You know, we'll, we'll talk some hand tumors in the oncology section. So we'll save that for then. And, but closer near the end, only peas in oncology next, man. We're only a couple years in now. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're getting there. But yeah, some of the other stuff like congenital hand, congenital arm stuff. I mean, yes, they're important. I'm not saying that they're not important for us to learn or to know about, but it's learning about like Poland syndrome, APERTS, polydactyly, macrodactyly. They're really not high yield things to really focus a lot of time on. While you're on those rotations, make sure you're just going through either the Miller's review or the ortho bullets of those sort of issues, just so you can kind of slowly remind yourself what exactly like the congenital hand stuff is and what some of the congenital arm deformities are, just because they can get you one or two points on the test. But in terms of going over this and listening to us talk about that stuff and <laughs> you're actually probably going to be far better off just learning it on your own <laughs> very true listening to us talk about it is going to be oh it's going to be rough just talking about it is going to yeah. be rough. 
uh well i guess that's about it we'll we'll tune in i'm we'll we'll go into the pd pod land finish up with that and then go into your realm of things and do some onk finally saving the best for last <laughs> exactly all right everybody we will see you next time hit that subscribe button and again if if there's anything that we cover that you think may be wrong or you want us to cover something else, just, just send us an email and, and we'll kind of go from there.